0: Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show you can click the like or subscribe button. You can also help out by donating using the Patreon link in the description below. So I'm excited to be back and we have a lot to get into. And the reason for this is that we heard a number of updates from the American Society for Hematology conference that just took place a couple weeks ago. So we're gonna talk about updates from Trillium Therapeutics, TG Therapeutics, Actinium Pharma, and then I want to do a little bit of a follow-on to my video about Anavex with regards to their Parkinson's disease data. So we're going to touch on all of this stuff. And uh, overall, it's a pretty interesting conference from some of the data updates that I saw. Of course, I'm just going to focus on the companies that I'm interested in, but then I'm going to follow it up with a few other updates that we saw that led to huge increases in, in their stock price. So we've a lot to get into, so I'm just going to get right into it. And I think before we talk about the company specifically, I did just want to talk a little bit about uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And the reason for this is that two companies, Trillium and TG, focus a lot on this disease, and I just want everybody to be up to speed. So I've talked about non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in the past, and I've shown like, a version of this slide, but I've included a few like prices of previously approved drugs for these diseases, just so we all have a bit more context on what we can expect in terms of a proper valuation for the companies. So just so we all understand non-Hodgkin's lymphoma characterizes a group of malignant lymphocyte cancers. These are known as hematologic malignancies and lymphocytes as we know uh, they're B or T cells and these are part of the adaptive immune system they can collect mutations such that they can grow malignantly and then deposit in different areas of your body, leading to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So they're characterized based on where the lymphocytes end up depositing and also whether or not they're indolent or aggressive. So the indolent version are very slow growing and they're not always an emergency such that they don't need to be treated necessarily immediately, but they need to be monitored. So the decision to treat with any of the different treatments that I've outlined here um, is really up to the doctor themselves. Now when it comes to aggressive versions of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, there's obviously more of a uh, drive to treat and to get rid of this cancer because it's leading to significant side effects on the patient. So just to give a little bit more context here, the prevalence of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and this is the all of them, so I'm just including all of them in this calculation, it's around 20 cases per 100,000 adults, and this is around 77,000 patients in the USA per year. So it's a significant patient population. The treatments out there that exist are pretty numerous, though. So there's chemotherapies, immunotherapies, targeted therapies, and then I also put radiation and stem cell transplants. And then just to give a little bit of a description on the different ones, so for indolent um, non-Hodgkin's lymphomas, CCL, uh, small lymphocytic leukemia, follicular lymphoma, marginal zone lymphoma, as well as cutaneous T-cell lymphoma. So that would be on the skin. Now, all of these cancers have an aggressive version, so if the indolent version gets more aggressive, it would turn into these types of cancers that include PTCL, DLBCL Mantle Cell Lymphoma, or Burkitt Lymphoma. So keep all of that in mind. And I did just wanna put here, so I'm showing a chart from Veristem's corporate presentation, and I did a talk about them. But just to sort of frame um, what we can expect in terms of objective response rate of what we want, some of the approved drugs already, they hit ORRs in the range of 20 to 30%. And then the drugs that Veristem was looking at, they did a little bit better. But when we're looking at whether or not therapy is, is good or bad, we really need a reference to compare it to. So depending on where they are in terms of the line of treatment they're looking at and uh, the mechanism of action and the side effects, if they can garner an objective response rate of 20-30% in general, that is seen as decent or approvable at least for the FDA. Now when it comes to price, this is also pretty critical because when we're looking at understanding the total value or potential value of a company, we really have to look at the potential addressable market. So drugs that have originally, like a long time ago, been approved for different types of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Rituxan was one of the original ones, and right now it's approved for first-line non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I didn't get into the details because they do have specific indications, but generally a course of this treatment for four months costs around $39,000. So that's kind of the, the floor. And then there's another one here that's approved for second line or greater, uh, CTCL, costs around 29,000 per month, and this is Zolina. But then this can go all the way up to Yaskarta, which is approved for um, third line or higher, DLBCL is a Gilead drug, and the cost for that is $373,000 per treatment course. So there's a big range, and the total addressable market for the entirety of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma Is around 3.2 billion dollars so you have to think of all of the approved therapies that are already out there and if companies are gonna try and get drugs on the market you know how much of that 3.2 billion are they gonna be able to get for their specific drug so we're gonna talk about Trillium now and TG Therapeutics that are commercializing drugs for non Hodgkin's lymphoma indications so with that the first company I want to talk about is one called Trillium Therapeutics Their ticker symbol is TRIL, and they're trading now at a market cap of $1.2 billion. And so Trillium has two different therapies. They have their molecules 621 and 622. Both of them are an anti-CD47 antibody, and the other side of the antibody is either an IgG1, if it's the molecule 621, or IgG4, if it's the molecule 622. So from Ash, we heard that they had a poster presentation for the Molecule 622 and an oral presentation for the Molecule 621. And I think everybody on Twitter in the retail space was very excited about the results they were going to present. The company scheduled a conference call on Monday after the oral presentation, so I think that had some built-in hype associated with it. And given that, the stock really ran up up to the $20 or $21 range, which I think gave it a market cap of maybe close to $2 billion. Since the update, though, the company has sold off significantly, and I think it's trading at around $12, uh, giving it that $1.2 billion market cap. And the reason for this is that there was no real significant update, I would say, from the data that we saw. For the 621 molecule in particular, and I'm going to focus on that just because it had an oral presentation, so it did have a little bit more hype associated with it, even though I should maybe explain to people how the decision goes to to give a company or a presenter an oral versus a poster presentation at a conference. But uh, leaving that aside for now, the data that we had before was that the objective response rate for 621 was 17 to 29% in a variety of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancers. So I'm gonna pull that up right here um, for those listening, I'm pulling up basically the update and the data that we saw. And really they looked at three different cancers, CTCL, PTCL, and DLBCL. So these are a mixture of aggressive and indolent non-Hodgkin's lymphomas. Just to go back, um, CTCL is indolent, but PTCL and DLBCL are aggressive. So of the valuable patients, Objective response rate for CTCL was 17%, and then PTCL was 18%, DLBCL was 29. And this is unchanged from what we saw before the data announcement from ASH. One thing that did happen is that there was a DLBCL complete responder that would be here, and they were pushed to a partial response. So you don't prefer to see patients move from complete response to partial response, but If the patient is still in the partial response category, I'd say it's still a positive thing. So we really didn't see much of an update in terms of efficacy for 621. The other news that we heard was really surrounding safety. So the company mentioned that there were dose-limiting toxicities associated with 621 and 622, and just to talk specifically about 621. And I'm reading here from slides that were presented at ASH. They said that the most frequent treatment-related adverse events of any grade included injection-related responses in 102 or 44% of patients and thrombocytopenia, which is a decrease in platelets, in 69 patients or 30% of patients. And um, these IRRs, the injection-related responses, reached grade three or higher intensity in eight patients or 3% of patients, but the majority were at first infusion The higher incidences were in part four, which is the the higher dose levels that were received, and they were managed by extending the infusion time or giving corticosteroids as like a initial infusion. So despite having these dose-limiting toxicities, the company is still moving ahead with their higher dosing with 621 and 622. So I think this is really the critical thing that people need to focus on, is that despite seeing some adverse events that are transient, the company is moving forward with their dose escalation, which is really the point of these trials right now, to see how high they can push the dose before they're not able to really treat patients and to get that maximum efficacy. So other things that came up is they looked at receptor occupancy, which is an important metric to see of the max amount of efficacy the company could potentially reach. And this is all as a monotherapy, I got to remind everybody. And so they're starting to hit that higher level of receptor occupancy, which means that the expectation of more efficacy is kind of diminishing. So overall, I think the data is totally fine. I think the company sold off more than it should have, especially compared to its peers with regards to the market cap that they're garnering right now. So for me, I think this is just a blip. I'm holding my entire position all the way through to mid or late 2021, where we should see some updates in solid tumor data. Now, I did listen to the conference call that happened on the Monday after the oral presentation at ASH, and what the company announced is that at the end of Q1 in 2021, they're going to do a research and development day where they're going to talk about what they're prioritizing in terms of combination therapies as well as solid tumors. They talked about how they have an SAB with a number of different key opinion leaders for solid tumors specifically. So this is really critical because... Like I mentioned before, the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma total addressable market is around three point two billion dollars as of twenty eighteen. The solid tumor addressable market though is significantly higher. And I know everybody kind of harps on Keytruda and Opdivo, but these molecules were able to generate revenues in the billions and the billions of dollars just as the single molecule. So if Trillium is able to see efficacy in solid tumors, its potential market cap would be significantly higher, tenfold we'll say. It's important that they really do well in solid tumors. And so some of the questions that came up were related to, you know, are they gonna be able to pick a dose to move forward in solid tumors? Why are they taking so long with solid tumors before getting going? And um, the answers that they had are really that they wanna get all their ducks in a row before they move forward. So with the question, you know, why not start the solid tumor trial now? They see that the dosing they're doing is starting to see some dose-limiting toxicity, so why not take that dose and move forward? And the company said that solid tumors are very important for their strategy. They're finalizing the strategy, doing an organizational build-out, discussing with the SAB, meeting next week, or this probably happened this week, and it's going to be a top priority in 2021. So I think the company wants to do it, and they just want to do it properly, And for that reason I think it's okay for them to take some time to set up everything before they move forward. So it's going to move forward and everybody wants to see data yesterday, but I think it just takes some time. Now the other exciting part is that a lot of these anti-CD47 molecules were to be treated in a combination with other types of molecules, antibodies, uh, targeted therapies. So um, the expectation is that they're going to do these combination studies as well that could also put them in different kinds of indications. And so the question was, have they settled on a dose for the combination therapy? Because seemingly they're not going to want to use the highest possible dose for a combination um, because they're going to be able to see efficacy without all the side effects if they use kind of a lower dose. So all of that is to say that the company said they're waiting for the rest of of the data to come in before deciding to move forward. So overall, I don't think there's much to talk about here. I think the company is still on track to do what they set out to do. They have set themselves up for success in 2021, given that they're taking time to finish the trials that they're doing now and setting up the things that they want to do and that we want to see in 2021. So for that reason, I'm comfortable holding the position. I know everybody's very concerned that the sell-off was so dramatic in the last couple of weeks, but to me, this is just a blip and we need to look further to the types of data that we're going to see that's really going to surround the company with excitement moving forward. And what I'm gonna do in another video that's coming up, I don't think I have time in this video, but I wanna compare the Trillium Therapeutics molecules to the ALX oncology molecules because it seems to be the hottest debate right now on why ALXO, a competitor company to Trillium, is trading at such a premium compared to Trillium, and you know which one's gonna get bought out, all that excitement. So I'm gonna do a follow-up video talking about that. But that's Trillium Therapeutics. And the next company I want to talk about is TG Therapeutics, ticker symbol TGTX, and they're now trading at a market cap of $5.5 billion. And we heard some news at Ash, and then we heard a huge readout come out on Thursday or Friday, I believe, of this past week on their MS data. So very exciting stuff. And what they showed us at Ash is that umbralicid plus oblituximab, which is their molecule combination, which they call U2, they showed that it's superior to... Obinutuzumab plus Chlorambucil in patients with treatment naive and relapsed and refractory chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And they presented their full data set from the phase three Unity CLL study. And this is a follow on to the top line data that they showed in Q2 2020. So I'm just gonna blow up the data here. And the the data that they saw, and I took the most important headline that I thought, is that the hazard ratio from patients that received U two versus O plus C H L was zero point five four six, so what that means is that they halved the risk of not maintaining progression free survival in patients that took U two, which is a huge improvement in response from the standard of care. So this is great news for the company. Um, it's really the the best kind of outcome you could expect from a follow on data release to the top line data. So I think this is absolutely gonna allow them to get approval in CLL. And if we just go back to our non-Hodgkin's lymphoma list here, this is an indolent non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And they submitted, or they're planning to submit the BLA for this molecule um, to the FDA soon. And they may have done it already, I I don't remember the headline. So the next piece of data that they showed, and this is all just at ASH, is that Umbralisib, just Umbralisib alone, demonstrates clinical activity in patients with relapsed and refractory indolent non-Hodgkin's lymphoma And this is from their phase two global Unity NHL trial. And what we see here is that in MZL, FL, and SLL, they got a 49, 45, and 50% objective response rate. So this is great data as well. And if we just compare this to what we see in say PTCL with an objective response rate of 20 to 30%, I think seeing it in Uh, at the levels that we're seeing here, around 50%, is definitely very encouraging for the company. So I think this is also another nice piece of data suggesting that Umbralisib, as well as Umbralisib plus of can have very powerful effects in non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So all of that was great news, and it took a little bit of time before the market was pricing in this nice improvement in data. But then what we heard is the MS readout. So the headline read, positive top line results from the ultimate one and two phase three studies evaluating oblituximab monotherapy for the treatment of patients with MS. So this is the readout that I was expecting and what I was holding my position for. And just to give a little bit more detail, they read that both studies met their primary endpoint of significantly reducing annualized relapsed rate, with oblituximab demonstrating an ARR of 0.1 in each of the studies. And so this study was a comparison between oblituximab and the standard of care, and ublituximab was able to do significantly better than the standard of care. Both studies met their primary endpoint of significantly reducing analyzed relapse rate, the p-value being less than 0.005 in each study, with ublituximab demonstrating an ARR of 0.1 in each of the studies. So as everybody kind of knows already, MS is a huge market. There's a ton of molecules that are already approved here, but Ublituximab is showing itself to be a pretty competitive molecule given this data. And so a lot of people estimate that the total addressable market for Ublituximab should be around the market cap that TGTX is trading right now. So there's a lot of excitement around the company with potentially people thinking of it as being a buyout contender, which I don't disagree with. Just to give some context in terms of the financials, their Q3 current assets were at 280 million with liabilities at 68 million, and they lost 52 million in Q3 of 2020. So it does give them a decent runway. Now, the next things we can expect from the company is a detailed data presentation in H1 of 2021 with the BLA submission in mid-2021. So I took a position in TG Therapeutics when it was trading around 18, I think I added twice. And then I sold, I didn't have too much time on Friday to watch the market, and I sold way too early, leaving a lot of gains on the table, which you hate to see. But I sold in the 35s, giving me almost 100% return on the stock, which was great news. And um, the stock ran after that up to like 42, so I could have definitely gotten a lot more. Uh, money from my stock but I'm still happy with a positive outcome here so congratulations to all the longs I think a lot of people are still holding the company because they see TGTX as continuing to deliver in terms of the efficacy and also being able to really commercialize this or be a target for acquisition so that's TG Therapeutics Um, overall very positive I'm going to see if there's, you know, some dips in the stock and maybe I'll take another position. But right now I'm pretty happy with the gains that I saw and the cash that I'm holding from this transaction so that I can look for other opportunities. All right. The next company I want to talk about quickly is Actinium Pharma, and they are trading at a market cap of $155 million and the ticker symbol is at and And I was expecting the data from ASH 2020 for this company to really push the stock higher so that it could get out. And what we heard was positive news they announced positive interim results from iomab b pivotal phase 3 sierra trial at 75 percent of total patient enrollment and i thought the data here looked good there was nothing negative about it they also reported on their actinamab a venotoclax combination trial in relapsed and refractory aml and i thought this is also uh, very positive data that would have moved the stock but on the the next trading day after they presented this the stock was basically flat and so i am still holding on to the stock reluctantly like i mentioned i think the management team isn't really well suited to commercialize this that will benefit investors so for that reason i'm kind of looking for an exit so when i look at their future milestones here there's one that sticks out to me which is the top line data for this iomab b phase three trial so They keep sort of dragging us along with this, like, oh, we've improved enrollment, there's a little bit more patients that we have data for, and they're not actually giving us the top line data, which, you know, it is what it is. But in Q4 of this year, we could potentially see that, and that'll be an exit point at which I'll take advantage of. So I think it's possible that these radiation antibody conjugates could be good molecules, and they clearly have some efficacy here, but the management team is just leaves a lot to be desired. So I'm looking for an exit on this position, but that was the update from Actinium. And I'm going to switch gears a little bit here because I want to talk about Anavex. So that was basically everything that I want to talk about with regards to Ash. There are a few other updates that I'm going to mention at the end of the show, but before I do that, I want to talk about Anavex and the ticker symbol is AVXL and they're trading at a market cap of 300 million. And this is after a bunch of readouts that came out with regards to their Parkinson's data. So what somebody mentioned to me on Twitter was that the Parkinson's data that they showed was actually not their primary endpoint, or it was they kind of massaged the data a little bit to make it seem like it was a success when really it was a failure. So I wanted to dig a little bit deeper and see whether or not that was true or not. So um, that's the point of the next few slides that I'm gonna talk about. So. The primary outcome on this uh, Parkinson's disease trial was cognitive drug research computerized assessment system for continuity of attention. That's what's listed in the clinicaltrials.gov plan. And so what continuity of attention means is a measurement of sustained attention combining accuracy and error measures from the choice reaction time and digital vigilance tasks. And I took this from a paper that's totally unrelated to Anavex. But then I also dug further into other clinical trials associated with Parkinson's disease, and one that stuck out to me was one by Accorda and Biotie, and this happened in the last few years, and it was for their molecule SYN120, and this was a failure. But they got into a lot more granularity on what continuity of attention meant to them, and this is something that Anivex hasn't really been specific on. Before I do that, I do just want to kind of outline this a little bit easier. So the Major endpoints that we want are kind of umbrella endpoints, so I'm showing here a chart of the different types of CDR assessments that you can do for Parkinson's disease, and the ones that um, Anivex was most interested in was this continuity of attention here, the thing listed in red. And to get a final continuity of attention readout, it's made up of a bunch of different tests. and. In this example here, in order to come up with a final value of continuity of attention, they have to do digital vigilance, and that means targets detected as well as false alarms, choice reaction time, and that's measured in accuracy, as well as this tracking measurement, which is average distance from target. So I don't know if this is what Anavex did. They were not very clear to us on what continuity of attention meant to them, but we can assume it includes things like choice reaction time and digital vigilance. So I also looked at this statistical plan from the BioTi Accorda trial, and we weren't able to see this from Anivex, unfortunately, but I think this gives us a good kind of surrogate that we could estimate of what really was going on with uh, Anivex. So for the BioTi Accorda trial, how they measured continuity of attention is this VIGAAC times 0.45 plus CR. TAAC times 0.5 minus VIGFA. So to explain these abbreviations, VIGACC is digital vigilance, something that Anavex measured. CRTACC is choice reaction time, something else that Anavex measured. And VIGFA is digital vigilance false alarms. Now this is something that Anavex may have measured, but they didn't actually share with us. So I'll talk about that in just a second. The next thing that Anavex told us about was episodic memory, and now this wasn't explicit in their clinicaltrials.gov page, but they did happen to measure it, and I think because it was positive data, they shared it with us. And so the funny thing is that they went through their corporate presentation and outlined specifically what episodic memory means to them in terms of the equation and all the things that they're going to measure to come up with a single readout for quality of episodic memory. So I'm not gonna go all through this because there's way more uh, factors involved compared to continuity of attention. So they went through all of these details in their corporate presentation, but they didn't go through these details with regards to continuity of attention, which was the primary endpoint of the trial. So I know this is a little, uh, there's a lot to unpack here, but what AnaVax actually presented to us was choice reaction time and digital vigilance. They did not present a readout for continuity of attention. So what this makes me think is that they saw a positive effect in digital vigilance and choice reaction time, but the totality of the equation was not significantly different. The digital vigilance false alarms that's part of that equation, this equation here for the continuity of attention, um, it was not significantly different or it made the data, the final data, not come out as statistically significant. So what they focused on on their press release was this digital vigilance and choice reaction time. So what this means to me, and this is all speculation because the company themselves, they did have language in there saying that they saw efficacy in their primary endpoint for Parkinson's disease, which is continuity of attention. But the data they presented was only in digital vigilance and choice reaction time. So they're gonna try and package this to the FDA as a success, and I think they might struggle with getting good feedback from them. So I am much less bullish on the Parkinson's disease readout but I'm still hopeful that Rett syndrome might look good and Alzheimer's might still look good at the end of 2021. But I think we need to really temper our expectations for Parkinson's disease. Now, having said all of that, I'm happy to entertain any of the theories. I think that what I looked at makes a lot of sense. And we're still kind of speculating here because we haven't seen the statistical plan from Anovex. So I don't exactly know what their equation was to come up with a final readout for continuity of attention. But if we had seen a final value for continuity of attention, I think that would have been more impactful than them showing digital vigilance and choice reaction time, but not the final singular readout that we wanted, which was continuity of attention. So I hope that makes sense. And, you know, let me know in the comments what you think if I'm off base here. But I think that's kind of where we're at with Anavex and Parkinson's disease. It was good that they saw those improvements in digital vigilance and choice reaction time, especially when they looked at the Sigma-1 receptor wild types, but I don't know if it's enough for the FDA to approve, given that the final readout that they want is the continuity of attention. Okay, so having said all that, I'm gonna hold my position through the Rett syndrome data and reevaluate afterwards. Okay, the final things I wanna talk about today, because I think this video is going on a little too long, is the other ASH news. And what we heard was from FATE Therapeutics, ticker symbol FATE, and their market cap now is around an $8 billion market cap. It doubled on this news. They presented a patient case study demonstrating clinical efficacy of FT-596 in refractory diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. So this is their iPSC-derived NK cell therapy, kind of similar to CAR-T, but it's off the shelf, and it's an NK cell rather than a T cell. And this case study they did was in a patient that had seven prior therapies for their DLBCL and they got to a partial response, which is huge. They also saw no severe adverse events or any grade CRS. And if you remember in CAR T therapies, there's significant cytokine release syndrome, that's what CRS is. So for fate to show very manageable adverse events and a partial response in a patient that had seven prior therapies, it's very bullish for the company and it really solidifies the NK cell version of CAR-T as being a means to treat non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So congratulations to the fate holders there. And then we also saw an update from CRISPR Therapeutics, ticker symbol CRSP, and they went from an $8 billion market cap to around a $10 billion market cap. And they're a company that I've kind of been bearish on. I'm shocked that it's valued at $10 billion personally, but... They are looking at doing a CRISPR-mediated treatment for blood disorders. And so they looked at 10 patients, 7 that had beta thalassemia and 3 that had sickle cell disease. And the update that they showed is that these patients were free from blood transfusions after 3 to 18 month follow-up with CTX001 treatment. I think this is in collaboration too with Vertex, but you know the data looks good. There's other therapies out there that are doing beta-thalassemia and sickle cell disease, one that I'm holding called Bluebird. Um, but there's so much hype around CRISPR which is effectively trying to do the same thing and they're saying that it's more effective and maybe it is but the final outcome is pretty much the same they're able to see positive data here so that's pretty exciting and uh, congratulations to all the longs there but i don't know if 10 billion dollars is justified for CRISPR but that's a matter of debate so i don't have time to talk about Trillium versus ALX but that's going to be something i do in a future video Um, In terms of the next weeks that we're looking at, it looked like Trump saw a loss in the Supreme Court with regards to their claim to maintain their administration. And so it looks like we're going to see a Biden-Harris incoming administration. And with that comes a lot of, I'd say, differences compared to the Trump administration. So that's some upcoming news, things to watch for. Other things is that the COVID vaccine is approved now in the USA. I just saw those headlines, so that could lead to a bit of a bullish move in the market. I think we should be reluctantly optimistic given there are logistical challenges, as well as, you know, there are some safety issues with regards to the vaccine, but hopefully that all buffs out. To give a quick portfolio wrap up, I sold my TGTX sadly at 35.88, and you can sell it right now for 42. I added Orenia, I added AVXL, I added to BTAI, and I sold my CBIO, I think I tweeted all about that. Um, and Trill, you can see here, the big decline from around 20 to 12.12. So overall, I'm trending with the Dow Jones, kind of catching up to the SPX 500, and volatility kind of ticked up at the end of day on Friday, but I don't think that's necessarily something to be worried about, especially with this vaccine news. So sitting at around 8% for the year which isn't too bad. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up. I appreciate everybody's support. Thank you so much. Please click the like or subscribe button. And if you want to donate or join the discord, check out the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash breaking biotech. So thank you again, everybody. And I'm going to leave it there. So I'll see you next time.